0: Hi everybody, welcome back to another episode of Please Drink Responsibly, a drinker's guide to American history. I'm your host, alcohol historian, Lisa Wiley, and thanks for listening. Today I have a doozy of an episode for you. I'm drinking in Tuskegee, Alabama. The heart of Dixie. Modern Tuskegee is a place of rich educational and cultural significance, but for the history of Tuskegee, I think we all might need a drink. Also, in the reading of reports from this town, I'm going to say some shitty words, for which I apologize. Drinking is tricky in Alabama, as 26 of its 67 counties are dry, which means it's not illegal to drink or possess alcohol, but you sure can't buy it. Not in a dry county. Tuskegee is wet, however, so you can buy booze Monday through Saturday in a state store, or beer and wine in a grocery and convenience store afternoon on Sunday. That gives you lots of time for church. (laughs) Town ordinances vary uh, for bar times in Alabama, so bars I found, um, I found three in Tuskegee. Uh, I found them on a map. One is a dive bar, another is a blues bar, and then there's a bar and grill, which is open from 6.30 a.m. to 11 p.m. on weekdays and open till 2 a.m. on Friday and Saturday, and then noon to 9 on Sunday. Since we're in Alabama, I'm going to tell you about the Alabama Slammer. <laughs> I went to a bar in Alabama, not in Tuskegee, but in Huntsville. It was a gay bar because I was with my dear friend who alleged that he didn't want to be the victim of an Alabama hate crime. <laughs> Being from out of town, we didn't want to risk it. So I went into this bar and I ordered an Alabama Slammer, right? The bartender gave me side-eye and poured me this sweet, syrupy drink. I had no idea what was in it. Now I do, and I'll tell you in a second, but this drink, I was disappointed to discover, was not rooted in Southern antebellum culture or history at all. It was actually created in the 1970s as a frat boy party drink. It first appeared as a recipe in Playboy magazine in 1971, and then it was featured in a famous speech in the Tom Cruise movie Cocktail, And then it was sold by the pitcher for years at TGI Fridays. So (laughs) I guess that explains the bartender's side eye. An Alabama Slammer is made with slow gin, amaretto, southern comfort, and orange juice. Oof, sweet. Oh, Tuskegee history. What a shit show. I had to read so much heartbreaking stuff. Tuskegee, you are on the wrong side of history. I'm going to say that right now. Aside from the Tuskegee Institute, it really is a racist mess. And until World War II, um, with the f- famous Tuskegee Airmen, it didn't really redeem itself. Aside from the Institute, of course, but we'll get to that. First, the Creek people lived there. And then the French come, and they make war with the Creek people. And then the British come, and they make war with the Creek people also. But they capture the French Fort Toulouse, and tada, Tuskegee is British Of course, it wasn't Tuskegee back then. It was just a part of the Mississippi Territory. Alabama became a state about 50 years after the Revolutionary War in 1819. So then Tuskegee history becomes officially American history. And what a history it is. I read Tuskegee was named after a Creek leader. His name was Tuskegee. And I've also read that the word Tuskegee, when translated to the original native dialect, means warrior. I'm thinking probably both are true. But anyway, it was originally part of the Creek Nation. Here's what happens. American settlers just come on in and squat. It was full of fertile farmland and settlers streamed in with their slaves and started farming, which was a great surprise and annoyance to the Creeks. So... The Creek Nation sent emissaries to Washington, D.C. There are records of at least three trips to speak to Congress about settlers just making themselves home at home on, on Creek land. The national government's solution to the problem is to suggest that the Creek relocate to Oklahoma Territory. Andrew Jackson was president at the time, and his entire presidential platform was to move the natives. Some of the Creeks chose at this time to voluntarily go early on. They were taken by military on a journey that takes about two months. But initially, only about 1,500 of the 23,000 Creeks made that journey. Meanwhile, back in Tuskegee, settlers officially outnumbered the Creek people by 1836. The Creeks spent 50 or so years living in the same area as the settlers. But... They were so different um, societally. They hunted, for example, and settlers farmed. They they moved all around to different areas and settlers sat, right? (laughs) They settled. So it didn't go great and tensions got really high. One of the things that Americans brought with them were grog shops. There were 400 in Alabama in its early statehood. Alabama settlers in the early 1800s drank as much as any other European-influenced American. Primarily grog, its rum and water. To the Native American, it was completely foreign. Hard alcohol was completely new to them. I want to take a second to talk about the Native American fire water myth. It It was a search of this that led me to the creeks and then to Tuskegee. I was reading about Native American alcoholism, and read about modern Creeks. Um, The firewater myth is the myth of the historic drunken Indian. It's propaganda, I've always known that, I guess, but I have to say that shamefully, I entertained this idea too for a moment. I believe that it was possible before I researched it, that the myth of Native American metabolism of spirits being different from European's especially after my last episode about that HDA4 gene, which is required through human evolution to process ethanol. Anyway, my thinking was, since historically North American um, Eastern and uh, Southeastern natives never drank, they didn't know what it was, that their bodies could genetically be ill-equipped to process ethanol. It makes me feel a little better to know that I wasn't alone because real scientists studied that hypothesis and it's complete bunk. There's no physiological difference in any human body's metabolization of alcohol. So let's just get that straight. It's a total myth. Maybe there was in prehistoric times, but not since. Also, the modern substance abuse difficulties in Native American populations have been studied and are showing a strong correlation to poverty and trauma, and not genetics at all. Trauma being like a few hundred years of racism and being fucked over. What 19th century natives did have was unfamiliarity with liquor. And since we know that the 19th century Americans were drinking like frat boys, remember the gallons that we talked about from my New England episode, what natives had was a tolerance issue. The same reason my mom can't drink as much as me when we go out. And pioneers used this, unfortunately, to their advantage. One of the government schemes in this area was parceling out land deeds to some natives before they all got relocated. There are accounts of settlers getting native natives drunk uh, and getting their hands on these deeds. It's dirty. Like they didn't, you know, they didn't have any experience with alcohol. So in Alabama there was a lot of drunken swindling of Indians in this area before they were kicked out, which I'll get to again. It's just like a, you know, a tolerance issue. Problems among the settlers and natives uh, resulted in violence. One of the things that happened was hunting was declared illegal by the Alabama government, um, which was the tribe's way of feeding itself. After some lethal fighting, the government imposed the eventual forced relocation of the remaining Creek tribe members, which is my first... Please drink responsibly, Trail of Tears. And that's the end of Native American history in Tuskegee. They were gone. What we were left with in this area of Alabama were slaves and slave owners. Good times, huh? Wait, it gets so much better. Records reflect that there were just over 18,000 slaves reported in Macon County, Alabama, by around 1,000 masters in the 1860 census. So that means Black people outnumbered White people from Tuskegee's beginning, and it's still true today. The city is made up of less than 10,000 residents. Like I said, it's really small and only 3% are white. Booze and slaves. Slaves were not allowed to drink without their master's permission. In fact, they weren't allowed to do dick without their master's permission. Some owners permitted alcohol, most did not. Frederick Douglass wrote an account uh, of his master pretty much forcing his slaves to drink and sport and fight for his own entertainment at Christmas, but Frederick Douglass was from Maryland, and I have enough heartache here in this episode, so maybe we can talk about it in a Maryland episode. I like don't have the strength. Okay, let's do a Civil War boo story. Um, just because the history is so jacked up in this episode, I want to tell you a funny thing. I read an account of a company in the 3rd Alabama Infantry that got so drunk um, that its commander was too drunk to fight or to lead. His soldiers scattered without instruction, and the author of this account, um, a wee bit tipsy himself, it seems, got stuck on a fence post, climbing over a fence. The fence post went through his trousers, and he remained there like a scarecrow, bewildered and impaled like a sitting duck. During the battle, with the fence post going through his uniform pants, until he could be rescued by the other men in his company. And he was lucky to survive to tell the tale. Okay, so we know how the Civil War ended. In Tuskegee, what you're left with is a few plantations, because most of them were burned, thousands of newly freed slaves, and hundreds of white people. Uh, Seeing a need and answering a personal call to lift up his race... Booker T. Washington came to Tuskegee to establish the Tuskegee School for Colored Teachers. You see, there was a literacy law in Alabama before the Civil War which made it illegal to teach a slave to read. I can't. So educating and teaching to be teachers was a really great plan. George Washington Carver joined the staff um, at Tuskegee in 1896. His agricultural and other scientific studies gain international accolades for himself and the school. Tuskegee University, as it's now known, is a top-ranked, top-ranked university. It's graduated brilliant minds in science, agriculture, business, education, architecture, and also Lionel Richie. <laughs> the turn of the century brings to Tuskegee some, uh, some startling racism. The white population really did try to maintain its idea of superiority. The Civil War turned upside down the complete way of life in this, the cotton belt of Alabama. By the way, um, Tuskegee is only 90 miles from Selma. Uh, Selma, Alabama, and we know how awesome it was to be a black person there. If you don't, maybe crack a history book. In 1906, a Confederate monument is erected in Tuskegee by the Daughters of the Confederacy in a white-only park in the middle of town. Three years later, a speech was given and printed in the Tuskegee News. It was given by the Honorable Congressman Thomas Heflin, who was also a Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. Later, he became a senator and served until 1932. The subject of the speech was temperance, and here's a passage. When we had open saloons, there were many places where the people living along the public roads leading from towns that sold whiskey were in a state of uneasiness and dread. Negroes would flock on Saturday to those open saloons in the town and there tank up with mean whiskey and commence to being boisterous and beastly. They left the town and along the road in the country the air was rent with their cursing and swearing and shooting of their pistols. It was dangerous to sit on your own front porch at night for you're in danger of being shot by these drunken Negroes. And when the husband or father was away, the wives and daughters of our people live in dread of constant insult and outrage. Thomas Heflin. Look him up. He's a real, real quality guy. Alabama Prohibition began began at different times by county. By 1915, it affected a statewide bone-dry bill, and alcohol was illegal till the federal, federal repeal by the 21st Amendment in 1933. The Great Depression. Here's a crazy story, not at all about alcohol, not at all about anything good. For some reason, there was an epidemic of syphilis in the community of Tuskegee. In 1932, the government conducted a study under the auspices of the Tuskegee Institute of 600 black male sharecroppers. Of the 600, 399 were infected with syphilis, not by the study, but came to the study infected, and 201 were not infected. No one was given a diagnosis warned of contagions, or properly treated, even after the discovery of penicillin. The United States Public Health Office wanted to observe untreated syphilis and let it run its course. The study lasted 40 years, until the story broke nationally in the newspapers in the 70s. That's how the participants found out they even had the disease. Of the 399 participants, 28 died of syphilis. 100 from complications of syphilis, 40 of their wives were infected, and 19 children were born with congenital syphilis. I I can't make this up, America. This racist stuff, Jim Crow laws, and cotton are all there was to Tuskegee, besides the Institute. So, let's have a drink recipe, shall we? Quick recipe. Sugar, rum, cognac, milk, ice. You got yourself a southern milk punch. Add an egg and spices, and you get eggnog. Of the kind that Jefferson Davis, president of the Confederacy, was almost kicked out of West Point Military Academy in 1826 for. It was called the Eggnog Riot. It's a crazy story. Besides Tuskegee University, um, another amazing thing came out of this city, and that was, of course, the world-famous Tuskegee Airmen of World War II. Now, this was a big deal because until 1941, no black people served in the military except to build roads and do manual labor or work in mess halls. Uh, the Tuskegee Airmen were the most successful, one of the most successful fighter units in U.S. history, Um, flying and fighting in more than 200 combat missions. The elite fighting squad trained in Tuskegee under Jim Crow laws in the town, which weren't lifted to allow integration until 1965. Before that, though, in 1957, recognizing, again, that Black people outnumbered White people four to one in the population of Tuskegee, White residents lobbied the Alabama legislature to create this weird, obvious twenty-eight-sided city boundary, um, which had previously just been a square. <laughs> uh, it was laugh almost laughable, and so it's so so obvious because it cut out every single black voter in town, and it was so stupid and so obvious that it was ultimately overruled by the United States Supreme Court for violating the Constitution. The case was called Gomillion versus Lightfoot in 1960, but they got away with the shenanigan for three whole years until it made it to the Supreme Court. Integration came to Tuskegee in 1965 with the help of Miss Rosa Parks, who is a Tuskegee native. Drunken Dummies, from the headlines of Tuskegee Newspapers. Raid in Tuskegee yields moonshine. (laughs) Six gallons of homemade moonshine were confiscated in the home of Harry L. Joseph. Four men were arrested on distilling charges in 1959. Eugene Gino Doak was arrested at at a Tuskegee gas station for crack and cocaine and domestic violence along with his girlfriend, Mama June Shannon, from reality TV's Honey Boo Boo. (laughs) That happened in 2019. I'm just going to read this one exactly as it was printed, and I apologize in advance. Jesse Cox, darky, went to Zion African Church on Sunday night drunk, or got drunk there. Returned home not with the holy dance, but with the blind staggers cursing everybody and everything, whereupon he was arrested. And the council made his pockets $20 lighter than they were before his theatricals. And then I swear to God, you guys, the very next line in this newspaper says, Stephen Bailey, white, got drunk on Sunday and was found on the street, stretched, his clothing not adjusted and cursing. The economical council rid him of $10 for the public good which I hope you're paying attention is half that happened in 1866. Sheriff Preston Hornsby says his office has had considerable trouble with patients from the VA hospital slipping through the fence to buy bootleg whiskey and to gamble in the woods nearby. 1956. 40 high school students are being treated after a school bus crash in which their driver, a Mr. Chambliss of Tuskegee, is being charged with drunk driving. That happened in 1979. Montgomery police arrest Johnny Ford, a member of the Alabama legislature, for drunk and disorderly conduct after he called the police six times to ask them to help him locate his car. Mr. Ford was previously mayor of Tuskegee, Alabama, for 27 years. That happened in 1999. If you or someone you know has a drinking problem, reach out to someone. Or message me, I'll try to help with resources if I can. Check out my Facebook page at Please Drink Responsibly, A Drinker's Guide to American History for photos of all these characters in my episodes. Theme music provided by Hank FMAO. You can hear Hank on SoundCloud. See you next time. Till then, please drink responsibly.